is a Salt Lake City bike YouTuber known under the moniker Old Shovel. But what I really think he should be called is the 90s mountain bike whisperer. He has an uncanny knack of finding some amazing vintage mountain bikes from Richie's, Ibises, and Kona's. And his YouTube channel has exploded in popularity where he does resto mods. If you're confused by that term, by the way, we do get into the differences between restoration, modification, and this hybrid resto mod. In this interview, which was also a live stream on the YouTube channel, we talk about some tips for looking for a good 90s mountain bike. Apparently you want to get them from a very specific era in the 90s, as well as the pros and cons of resto modding one. It's a super fun and interesting discussion. Before we jump in, however, I do want to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Arkel. We've used their bags in the past and they are super robust. If you've ever used their panniers, you know that they've got this really herky metal cam lock system, which just locks down the bags to your rack. Another big plus is 80% of their bags are made in Canada with US sourced fabrics. And they've also got a new tool on their website to help you find the perfect painter. Link in the show notes. If you are stoked that the podcast is back, give Arkell a visit. And if you happen to be a Patreon supporter, you also get 15% off Arkell products. So it's a win-win for everybody. Thank you to Arkell for sponsoring the podcast. And let's jump into the interview. So before we uh, get into the the debate, um, tell me a little bit more about your YouTube channel, how it how it started, and what's your sure. kind of vision for it. I started my channel. Let's see, in December of 2018, and my first goal was actually to do restorations of tools <laughs> and other <laughs> things. That was kind of that was kind of the, the impetus and I'd seen a few people doing them and doing them poorly and getting a lot of views. <laughs> I thought I can do this better. Um, and yeah, so I restored lots of tools. I'm an ax, avid axe, axe collector. And, uh, so I did lots of axes. Um, I did, uh, my Kona explosive that I'm assuming several have seen, which was my first bike restoration. I've always been, restoring bikes for a long long time and I was a bike mechanic in college and I found that that was kind of more fun some companies were interested in what I was doing and it just kind of morphed into just bikes after a while yeah I've heard the phrase resto mod thrown around and I feel like those are two different things right there's restoration which um I take Mm -hmm. it to mean kind of restoring it to you know it's 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 prior grandeur or yeah. very correct parts, you know, all those things. Whereas a mod is, um, you know, just using it as a plas- platform to build upon. What's your, yeah. like, how do you see it? And what do you, what do you like to do? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, what's surprising is how much that's debated. <laughs> like it comes up, <laughs> I get like some of the meanest comments are like, that's not a restoration. That's a, that's a modification or whatever. I, I'm a believer. I'm not keen on restoring things that I'm not going to use. <laughs> like <laughs> I like to use things and I'm motivated to, to fix things up to really like, like I say at the end of my videos to give them new life. And uh, to me, new life means that they're useful when you're done. And a lot of times with, with the bikes, um, if I want to ride it, I, I'm more motivated to ride it when it has 
some of the things I really like. And some of those things are old and some of those things are new. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do believe like a rest, a true, true restoration is making it as accurate to what it was originally. Uh, sometimes restorations make them better than they were originally, you know, like if it's something that was, um, cast a lot of times people will clean up the casting completely and make it all smooth and beautiful and um i think that that adds value um but it's not a true restoration either it's kind of modifying it a little bit but a resto mod i I like when we're talking bikes is combining all the good things regardless of what era it comes from and and things that work well together which is part of what i like about the late 90s mountain bikes really there's this niche where it's really easy to fit lots of different things and really customize it and and make it yours because it fits new and old and all kinds of different things so so that mid mid to late 90s is such a ideal era for bikes right so when people say get a 90s mountain bike it's kind of a specific (laughs) part of the 90s (laughs) Yeah, I think, and I think I brought that out in my video. Um, that was my point. There's, there's a, a sweet spot that's even better, and I think that's that sweet spot that that we're looking at is that late '90s where they're done messing around with, with trying out different things. I'm always surprised. Sometimes I get a bike. I'm like, I didn't even know that they did that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh crap! I need a, I need to find some press fit bearings that fit a bike from 1991 <laughs> yeah. i think that's a real challenge though as a as a buyer that's not super well versed in 90s mountain bike history is you know when you when you encounter you know these bikes on on craigslist or at a at a swap meter or at goodwill you know it doesn't have like the year <laughs> necessarily emblazoned sure. yeah. on it so yeah. what are like some i guess like some telltale indicators of something within this kind of golden age of the 90s yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's a good, good point when I'm looking. So I go to thrift stores like a, multiple times a week. So I hit up the local thrift store. They know my name there. <laughs> <laughs> they have for years. And uh, yeah, um, I look for uh, when, when you're looking at old bikes, cause I don't know all of the, like I grew up, I was a teenager uh, and in the, in the nineties, you know, I I was a teenager in the 90s and grew up and went to college. So I went to high school and college in, in the 90s. But what I look for typically, I mean, I, there's the regular brands that have been around forever that, you know, you're familiar with. I'm not looking for department store bikes typically. And, that, and I'd say 99% of the time, that's what I see at thrift stores. And, and um, you see a lot online on stuff too. And one thing that I've always been familiar with and kind of an equalizer is there's only so many component brands. And when you're familiar with in the, in the nineties, really, you're looking at Shimano. There's not a whole lot else going on in the eighties. There's, there's some sun tour stuff that trickles into the early nineties, but, and then the late nineties, you get SRAM starting up and grip shift Mm -hmm. and things like that. But so knowing just kind of the different componentry that if you've got something that says Dior on it, Shimano Dior, uh, you know, it, it's probably a more solid bike. The steel tubing might be a little better than most, and uh that that's normally helpful i do like for for utility i do like that later 90s bike that has a one and one eighth headset and there's some companies that were doing one and eight at the beginning of the 90s um but not as many like gts 
you'll often find a one and one eighth um, in the early early nineties. But um, Kona's that I like mm-hmm. to look at, most of them were one inch until I think ninety three or ninety four somewhere around there they started doing one and one eighth. And so if, if you choose one of those, you're kind of stuck with. There's not a lot you can do, you know. You, right. It's hard. It's really hard to find if you want to put a suspension fork, something that's that's one inch. Yeah. It's just not. And so you get people kind of converting things here and there, like shaving down, shaving down the 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 headset. Um, what's that part that inserts into the, the, the steer tube? It's like the flange. Like they'll yeah. they'll shave down the millimeter to make it fit. Um, and on, I did a clunker where I, I shaved down the inside of the head tube to make a one and one eighth fit. Now that one I felt comfortable because it was like super super thick. Right. So I was like, oh, I can shave off a millimeter and be okay. Yeah, you so. said something. In your I watched your pros video this morning, um, and you had mentioned eight speed as a as a good indicator yeah. because by yeah. that time they would have sorted mm-hmm. out the, the whole freewheel cassette kind of debacle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you don't have to worry about that. I mean, most 90s, you're not going to, unless it's a really cheap bike, you're not going to have a freewheel, but you're going to have probably seven speed until the late, the late 90s, later 90s. And yeah, that eight yeah. speed is sweet because then you don't have to swap a hub or get new wheels. And it is hard. It's hard to find good um, eight speed wheels yeah. just on their own. You know, they get snatched up here. In in Utah, they get snatched up pretty quick, and and I do feel like we have more than I I feel like it's one of the best places in the country to find bikes. Yeah, I feel that it must be like there must be like the the magic spot that just draws all these amazing bikes yeah. for you. Yeah, I I I don't know what it is because actually in prep for this, I like I looked at Missoula's Craigslist, and it was, there there's like a like 120 bikes, you know, and and most of them weren't interesting. And, right. <laughs> and, and here on my, so we have a local classifieds. it's called, um, like KSL.com and people use that more than Craigslist. And so that's where I normally look. But, um, when I've lived elsewhere, I've looked at Craigslist, but we probably get at least that many a day listed oh, on there. And wow. so like, like when, I, <laughs> when I was putting together B-roll, I went and favorited a whole bunch of good steel bikes for under 200. And actually I didn't share all of them. I found some for like $35 that I was like, I got to call those guys on Monday because <laughs> it was such a good deal. Like there were some cool bikes for like 35 bucks. No kidding. Like I, I waited for about a year, just like checking on the local Craigslist, you know, maybe once or twice a week, Yeah, uh, trying to find something that, that would one fit me that would look like I had somewhat decent components and wasn't, yeah you know, was like around the hundred dollar or less uh, price yeah. point. And for those three criteria to, to line up, it, it took, it took a long time. Yeah. So that was why I actually avoided saying availability. Cause I would right. say, hear it, see here it's easy, but yeah. I, I recognize that it's not, I actually, so I went to Sea Otter a couple of weeks ago and I thought of, I toyed with the idea of flying there, um, buying a bike off of Craigslist <laughs> <laughs> and and riding it from like San Jose to to Sea Otter, I toyed right. with that idea. And so I looked. I'm like, is this feasible? And actually, in in the San Francisco San Jose area and stuff, there's quite a bit. I was like, okay, yeah, it's it's similar. So I know there's other places in the country that are 
that are pretty good also that kind of have that culture where someone's not trying to gouge you for everything or they're right. just nothing. I would guess that in Missoula, there are still people that bike, but maybe they just don't sell stuff. <laughs> like yeah. maybe there's a bunch of old people that are just hanging onto their nineties mountain bikes <laughs> that they bought. They bought for that one bike ride, you know, yeah. but there, there is yeah, a guy I, that reached out to me locally after I did that nineties band bike video. And I'm going to do a video with him uh, once the weather gets nice, but his thing is taking these vintage mountain bikes and welding on disc brake tabs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. uh, I'm, we're going to do a video where I put four brakes on a bike just, just for funsies. <laughs> yeah. And so I've done that a couple of times too, and it's fun. I'm comfortable with it for myself. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it for someone else. Yeah. I, I, I trust my welds, but I guess I don't trust them enough to like, <laughs> I, I trust them enough for my kids. <laughs> so yeah. I let them ride. They're young and flexible. My, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what's your, like um, what's your relationship with the, the bike collective in town? Do you uh, rest them on the bikes and then donate it there? Or like what's, how's that work out? Uh, so uh, they're a local place um, that actually, even before I started bike YouTubing, I had donated a few bikes before to them. I'm just, I, I really believe strongly in, in giving back to your community and being a part of your community. And, and I, I, I'm kind of a sucker for people that do stuff like that too. And the bike collective, I really like their, their um, mission. You know, they're, we get a lot of um, refugee communities moving here and coming here into, into the Salt Lake area. And, and they do a lot for them. They do a lot for, you know, um, less affluent people. And they do a lot of stuff for youth. Like they have, you can train to become a certified bike mechanic, um, by taking free classes there as a kid. I don't think they offer for adults for free like that, but like a teenager can go and become like nationally accredited as a bike mechanic. And I just like that, that kind of ethos. So, um, I don't have any like contractual things with them, but, I do like hanging out at that shop. <laughs> like I really, really like it. Yeah. And uh, the guys, the guys there are really the, well, the, everybody there is really cool. And, and uh, so, yeah, I've been trying to do more with them. One, it makes it so I, I, I'm kind of a bike hoarder and doing this YouTube channel has made it worse. <laughs> so, so I can relate. Um, yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice place to, to get a few bikes and that, that I've got for myself one, and like the, the Richie that I got recently is just, I, I'm, I'm in love with it. I'm sad that it broke the rims. I've got new rims to fix, but, but um, yeah, I'm just trying to do what I can to help them out cool. and to contribute and help further their cause. Um, they've been liking what I've been doing because they've lately I've been doing a lot of Instagram reels of stuff in the shop. Um, one, cause it, it's helped build my Instagram page and two, um, they're starting to get calls from people all around like the world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, can you ship me this? And they have, they've shipped a few things. They've shipped a few frames to folks that have seen things from my, my Instagram reels, which is kind of cool and fun. And yeah, those, and, those bikes never show up here. <laughs> like I swear. <laughs> like, I, I, the but, old Ibises yeah. and the Konas, it's like, I've not oh, yeah, seen one. Yeah. It's, <laughs> It, it's super cool. I mean, the bikes that I have that I really, really love that I've restored in the last couple of years, uh, the majority have come from there. So, 
I mean, at the thrift stores, I find pretty good bikes. It's rare that I find a really, really awesome, like the, I, I did a Cannondale, uh, T 700, I think is what it was recently. That was like, I, I basically just cleaned it. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, it took it apart and cleaned it and put it back together, but it looked like it had hardly been ridden. It was $35 and yeah, I spent a bunch Dang. on the grip, grip tape and the, the saddle, but that was because I was like, I normally budget like 300 ish dollars to spend. And I'm like, well, I'll splurge on this one. <laughs> so, and it was, it's a beautiful bike. So that, that's a rare one. You know, I don't find stuff like that all the time at the thrift store. Most of the time it's kind of entry level mountain bikes, older that are fun, cool, and very versatile and useful, but not, not yeah. completely uh, like I can find it, the bicycle collective, which means people are donating awesome awesome bikes to them um yeah. which is good that that's how they make their bread and butter that's how they fund their nonprofit, and it's cool yeah we've got a great resource like that in town called free cycles and uh, i went there a couple weeks ago to to search for some parts for the the paramount and they have some cool stuff i've been, I've been like do i want to blow it up or <laughs> you know it's kind of like this, this spot um yeah but I am like, you know, there's this really nice component. I don't actually need it. Someone else could could actually, you know, use it. Um, and there's yeah. no reason for me to buy it. So like I'm always trying to temper myself from just buying things for the for the sake of <laughs> buying things. I, I'm that way too. Actually, I could, I kind of have hoarded a few of the good when I'm there, I'm like, ooh. Ooh. I don't have a need for this, but I'll buy it. <laughs> anyway <laughs> but then find... i think that same thing i'm like maybe i should leave that one for someone else yeah i feel like it's uh you know restoring vintage bikes or mountain bikes has always been you know a hobby for lots of people do you do you think it's getting more popular or it's become more popular um i i did i i i get a lot of comments to that regard that that um i i think it was kind of the the impetus of what happened in 2020 a lot of people sitting around there, there are a lot of new people that weren't or maybe did in the past and they're coming back um uh definitely there's a group of people that have watched my videos and some others that that it's inspired them to do that so i i do think there is kind of a revival there's a few comments in my video today to to stop talking about the <laughs> <laughs> the, the 90s mountain bikes because they don't want them to get all snatched up and they don't want too many people to know the secret right um, but yeah i think i think there's there's kind of a resurgence a lot of times i think it it feels like like those that like to fix up vintage hot rods and cars and stuff it kind of is that same people who are nostalgic or love bikes and cars or don't even have to be nostalgic they when they fall in love with cycling they fall in love with the history of cycling too which means old vintage bikes and so there's there's kind of this interest in if you're a mechanic or mechanically if you have an aptitude to it i think there's an appeal to to doing some of that yourself and and tinkering and it's not as big of a commitment as like a hot rod or something like a car right. you know, or even a motorcycle it's it's you know a little more approachable you know if we were at sea otter i would have loved to ask the park tool people to see if they saw like a spike in tool sales because people were doing lots of DIY stuff. And did you get a chance to ask them that? Yeah, um, I, I did. I, I knew that um, in talking with them that there was a surge. Initially, like a lot of companies, there was kind of like 
some trepidation of going forward with with plans and then quickly there was just a high demand for where they just couldn't keep up it's similar to what uh I've, like i've talked with the folks from paul's components and they said similar things i think when you did your video i think if i remember that that came out also but in talking mm-hmm. with like travis from paul's uh, components mm-hmm. they, they had a similar you know there's this this surge of interest and that, that surge also overlapped into the tools. Let's dig into the, the pros and cons lists. Um, I thought maybe we can go really quickly through your, uh, your five and, and my five or four or whatever, and just go back and forth a little bit. Um, since you launched your video today, (laughs) uh, let's talk about yours. So sure. Your first, your first point was nostalgia, which, um, you know, for me, like I totally didn't have because I was playing Street Fighter Two instead of riding bikes. Um, so that, sure. that was like a—I mean, that's a pro that I can see. If you know you were in that era and that was your thing, you know, this is definitely—you know—you're probably older. You've got you know the funds to buy all these cool bikes you didn't have back then. <laughs> I don't. I don't think actually. <laughs> Yeah, that's maybe I I don't have lots of funds to buy all those bikes, but that um, there is that nostalgia, though, definitely. And for me, it definitely was the Kona. And I talked about that. Like I've had I've had nice bikes since I was in college when I had that. I had a Kona Caldera. Um, But uh, part of it was a hardtail, a steel hardtail. I just loved a steel hardtail. I was riding full suspension for a while. And I found that I actually, I'd prefer to, I prefer hardtails over for the type of riding I do. I don't really like to get air. <laughs> like I've, I've broken a few things already biking and, and other things. And I'm not interested in that. I'm, I'm a dad. I, I have responsibilities and yeah. yeah. So I like to stay on the ground. I also, I'm a big cross country rider and trail runner. I used to run ultra marathons in the past and, and I really like the physical challenge of a really good climb and descent on nice um, single track. Like that's right. Yes, nice flowy single track is what I like, uh, with a little bit of technical here and there, but not much. So those kind of bikes appeal to me. A hardtail makes that a little more fun and interesting. Um, in fact, even like last fall when I built up my my clunker, I loved that. So for me, but that that the first time I really had that feeling was riding that, that Kona and I wanted that feeling back. So there is that nostalgia, but I think Mm -hmm. there's also for those that aren't, there is kind of, like I mentioned before, there's um, this love for cycling and then you, you gain a love for the history of cycling. Mm -hmm. So. um, I agree. Yeah. (laughs) So there's some of that. Uh, I think there's that appeal that can be. I think Russ, you can have some nostalgia for vintage bike stuff too, like you did reading <laughs> those those books recently. You know, yes. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Um, I'm going to combine your 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 two and three. So your other sure. pros were vers- versatility and customizability, um, which I totally agree with. Like I've I've not released my uh, my pros list because I don't, I don't hate nineties mountain bikes. Like people, people took it the wrong way. Uh, but I do think, yeah. you know, like when I first got into bikes in, in the, in the early aughts, um, you know, those, those were the bikes I, I learned to work on because they were super yeah. kind of transparent and, and honest, like no hidden parts. You could kind of, 
know, problem solve your, your, your way around things. Um, yeah. so yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, the, the appeal to, and I tried to bring this out in mine is that there's that when I, when I think about it, I think that late mid to late nineties is that sweet spot where you have eight speed wheels, you have one and one eighth headsets, you have uh, like a standard bottom bracket where uh, you can swap out so much stuff and hopefully a 27 two <laughs> so that the seat posts were still one of those areas that you get weird seat post sizes that are hard to find. And there's a few companies that make them. I've sanded a few seat posts down <laughs> to fit, you know, but, yeah. but for the most part, th- there's a lot of versatility. And if you have 27, two or higher, like a lot of specialized in the late nineties, we're making actually the 30.1. And so you can fit, um, you could even fit a dropper post on some of those, you know? And so mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Um, Although I think it's a different riding style on the bikes that that now have dropper posts, they're they're set up with a slightly different geometry, and and bigger wheels means you need to drop a little more and you ride different. So, um, but yeah. I, there, there's so much that you can like. I can make a, a cross country type bike, or someone can take that same bike and turn it into a gravel type bike, or into a townie, or swap out the fork and make it like a hauler or something, you know, and put racks on it and take it bikepacking. There's just so many different things. And then aside from that, like I love sprayed out bike paint because I can, or just any paint. Like the idea is I'm not making a professional level paint job. I'm having fun making the bike mine and giving it a custom paint job is what I want to show. Um, uh, because you can, and then it's yours. You get sick of it paint it again, you know, right. <laughs> paint it a new color <laughs> next time. And uh, it's just a fun way to keep that bike new and interesting and meeting the needs that you have. And I think nineties, because if you can find it for cheap, there's, um, there's a lot more room for you to customize what you want to do. There are some things yeah. that are hard, hard to find though. Like if you want a good mid 2000 suspension fork, they're they're disappearing <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so is there, there's, um, they're tough do you have a good source for let's say you you buy a, a mid to late 90s mountain bike and it's got a suspension fork but you want to run it rigid like where where, where do you go if i want to <laughs> i go to the salt lake bicycle collective <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, and that's a hard thing too. Like if I want a straight steer tube with a, a threadless headset, they actually don't have many of those. Most of the forks that are just random available there are actually threaded ones, which are kind of hard too, because you need one that's the right length and with the right mm-hmm. thread pitch and all of that. Um, so the, it's, the fork is a tough one, but there are, there are new 26 inch forks out there that you can get too. Um, but you can also put like a 27.5 fork on it um that would kind of feel like uh adjusted for suspension but when you're tweaking stuff it's always going to change the way it rides and feels um you may have to experiment with the stem length and stuff like that to get the balance right and and there could be some tweaking but that's for me that's half the fun (laughs) so (laughs) it's trying to figure out what works and and uh yeah so it's yeah. that's a tough one and a suspension fork is even harder it's just hard um i've bought several off of ebay and um most of the time they're not cheap it's hard to grab up a good fork for around like if you want an old sit or fox float or something like that you're gonna easily spend 
$300 on yeah. eBay, unless you can find something locally or some, yeah, it's tough. There just aren't many. And so it's a, on that one, the cost can be higher. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let's, um, so your last pro, um, I'm just going to dovetail into my first con, which is the, the issue of like affordability and price. Um, yeah. <clears throat> So how about you you give your your pro take on it and I'll give my so, con take on it. <laughs> so I I look at it um as one I I do think affordable bikes are able to find but uh, as I've mentioned I think in in your area in Missoula there's not a lot of selection so uh, that makes it harder and so if you're looking at eBay something more universal excuse me uh, you're going to you're going to pay a lot more it's going to be a lot harder eBay's more like people have found that if you part out these nineties mountain bikes, you can make more money than if you sell it whole. And mm-hmm. so the price is going to be a lot higher. Um, at that said, uh, it's still, if you're comfortable spending a thousand dollars on a new bike, um, you can, you can find one, uh, for, for a lot less. If you look harder, I I'm sure there's, Sure, there's bikes laying around at garage sales and things like that that takes a little more effort to find. But but if if you're looking for that specific type of bike, it's really hard. If you're open to what comes to you, I kind of feel like 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 I some of the bikes that have come to me, I felt like they've found me rather right. than I found them. They're like, I want to live, <laughs> I want to live again. And so when you put it out there that you want to find something like that, I think. That they start to show up. People start to let you know. But um, a lot of bikes I've found, uh, I'm just surprised. Like I got them. Like the I have a Paramount, like yours, looks <laughs> very similar. And uh, um, I was actually surprised when I wrote it. I was like, "This is gonna suck." Like, <laughs> like it doesn't. Like I didn't feel like it had a different cockpit feel. It was a lot longer. But when I wrote it, I was like, "Actually, this really performed really well." The steel felt really quite supple. Um, I, I don't know what, what it was about it, but it, I, I was very surprised at how well it rode. And I was like, Oh, cool. This is a nice bike. Maybe I need to fix this frame up a little more, <laughs> but, but if you open up your mind to trying new things, I think there's, there's a lot out there to be had. Um, but yeah. it may depend on where you live, but still like if you spend $400, if you buy a bike for a hundred, spend even 300 fixing it up you're still just at and around that department store bike range. And I think you have a much more durable, long lasting and more custom and unique and special to you bike, Mm -hmm. you know, that you put together and you put some love into it, even if you're paying a mechanic to do some of it or, or whatever it might be, you know? So I feel like there, there's a cost of entry. You, you can find, you can do it for cheap or you can do it for a little bit more and it's still less expensive than something new. Um, right. So that, that's my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I do think like, um, you have to have that open mindset. It's kind of mm-hmm. uh, like a good analogy to me is like, if you go to a, a thrift store looking for clothes, you can't be hoping to find that very specific shirt in that color uh-huh. way in your size. It's gotta be, yeah, you know, this is, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. You're not <laughs> like, do you have this in another color? right (laughs) yeah no and i'm totally like i'm a like before club ride started augmenting my wardrobe (laughs) 
I yeah. could say. Like most of my plaid shirts are from like thrift stores. So like yeah. <laughs> I'm very much a thrift store guy. I grew up that way. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You kind of let what comes to you and you're like, hey, yeah, this works. This is cool. Yeah. So I did um in my 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 pros video, which is has yet to be released, it's gonna pop on on Tuesday. Um, at the end, I kind of did a, a price summary of what it cost me <laughs> to get uh, sure. the, the Paramount into, into a rideable shape. And like one thing that I did that I don't think a lot of people do, and maybe it's just just me, like I factored in my time, like how much time it oh, took me yeah. Yeah. Times, times Montana minimum wage, not even my, you know, you know, YouTuber uh, hourly rate, which which isn't that much more than the Montana <laughs> hourly wage. <laughs> but once once I factored that in, uh, it ended up being about a thousand bucks. You know, I probably uh-huh. put like close to four fifty, almost yeah, about four fifty in, uh, and then I at, estimated maybe about fifty hours of time between looking, researching buying something, it not working, <laughs> buying something else. Um, oh, yeah. I feel like that's that's something that doesn't get accounted for a lot. I know, I remember someone mentioned that RJ, the bike guy, did a video uh, trying to answer this question where he finds the cool bikes he he gets to work on the channel. And in one video, he drove like 100 miles to five different thrift, thrift shops and came away with nothing. And that's like, that's a sunk cost. That's gone. <laughs> Uh huh. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. My question to you then is: On your other bikes that aren't '90s bikes, do you do the same? Um, so, yeah, but I spend way less time working on them. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, that's fair. Because, uh, like, when I think when we're talking about customizing bikes, a lot of people do that. You know, there's something about changing out parts, whether they're better or not that makes it yours and you feel like you, you, you're kind of bonded and more connected and, and doing that with nineties bikes, I think is if, if you're looking at used parts or um, even new parts uh, there's a connection that comes. And I think people that like to do that, do that on their new bikes too. And so I, right. I see that as like kind of a, a, a parallel cost, but the cost yeah. of entry, I feel like is a little less, but it does depend on, I, I think it does depend on the market in where you live um, and what's available and what you're willing to, to, to work on. But there is a versatility that I think there's value and uh, there's a lot of inexpensive bikes to be had. Um, but if you really want to put Paul's <laughs> Paul's brakes on your bike, you know, right. it's never going to be cheap. Like, right. And if you want the retro ones, it's going to be even more, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd love so, to see what a old Paul's derailleur feels like. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy on the Instagram I follow. Um, I think his I, Instagram is bike jerks. He, it's, um, <laughs> It's a guy that that started All City, the brand, and and left. Oh, okay. Uh, and he, yeah. He finds all these amazing finds at, at different yard sales, and he found a Paul front derailleur, uh, which he's selling for like five hundred bucks. <laughs> apparently, apparently that's a going rate for for an old Paul front derailleur. So go figure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They so I mean, there's there's certain things that are rare, unique, handmade, custom that that there's a lot of value to. In fact, actually, at the Salt Lake Bicycle Collective, they had a bike in that I was there. Um, 
And I was like, ooh, ooh, I, I need to talk to the head mechanic and see if they'll let me have, have that one. Because <laughs> normally they, I mean, they like to fix them up and sell them. They don't normally let the unfixed up ones go for sale, um, but they have mm-hmm. to me a few times. Um, I probably shouldn't have said that. But, <laughs> but, but I was like, oh, that's a sweet bike. But for them, there was actually a lot more value to that. They have stuff on eBay and they parted it out and made way more parting it out than, than keeping it whole. So, I mean, there's, there's some value in, in those old, really collectible parts that are super cool, but yeah. um, functionality wise, they're not really a whole lot different. Um, but, right. you know, some Rasta anodized <laughs> is super cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, like it's awesome, but at, uh, yeah. At the same yeah. time, like you can find whole bikes with, you know, just, Dior components and there's some cool functionality to those clean them up put some uh, I guess if you want to count your your time in polishing <laughs> cranks then if, if I counted that I could spend I've spent hours sometimes polishing a crank that's that's worth like five dollars <laughs> but when I'm done I've put like five hours of sanding and polishing into it so I don't know right so I watched your your last video with the seized seat posts. Like, how long did that take? <laughs> so I was I had hoped actually to get that bike done like in January. <laughs> I had started on it. I kind of pulled it out. I'm like, oh crud, this is so stuck. And it, it was from the Salt Lake Bicycle Collective. They knew it was stuck, and had tried themselves to get it out. And um, I don't know how long I spent. It took, like I followed, and I've, I've seen that Eric's on here. I've looked over mm-hmm. and spinned at, he's on there. Um, I had seen his, his gallium thing. <laughs> and so that was kind of in the back of my mind. I, I'm like, that'd be cool to try if I have to. And, <laughs> and you had to. Um, and I had to. I, I needed to do that or like uh, the, the lye or caustic soda or whatever around method and that when i've looked at it i've never tried it it just looks really really messy and i'm like i don't like i don't like toxic chemicals which is why i normally like sand the bike down and scrape off the paint when i'm redoing it rather than uh, yeah then then clearing it off other ways (laughs) so um yeah i that even with the gallium that was an all day i think i started um the on a Friday evening, I did a few chunks and got a few of the big chunks because you put it in, wait a couple hours for it to, to, um, like ionize or something. It's doing something. Cause it's not like melting or fusing or, or dissolving. And, uh, then chipped away. And then I let some sit overnight cause I like to sleep and then came back in the morning. And I don't think I finished getting that seat pulled out. So, I mean, and I, I only had like maybe five inches to, to get out. Um, maybe less than that. I don't know. Um, it took until the evening. So it took all day. It was all day coming in for every two hours and chipping away everything I could. And then another two hours and chipping away. And that's not as evident in the video. And because I don't talk, <laughs> I don't say, <laughs> I'm not like four hours later. <laughs> right. But, yeah. But that's it, it. Was an all day thing. It took all day to get that seat post down. Well, you, you um, changed shirts, so, so I knew that like a certain amount of time had passed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and 
um, even the sawing it off, you know, I saw it, I'd, I'd work on it because I have, I have like a full-time job and I have kids. I'm a scoutmaster. I, I try to squeeze in things when I can. And on week, Saturdays are like the only day that I get like long amounts of time to work on stuff. Um, but I'll squeeze in stuff on weeknights. And so it was on and off for like, I think six weeks trying to get that seat post <laughs> oh, down. Well, cause I'd be like, I started on it and then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to finish this one for this week's video. So I'm going to have to do something else. So then I put it to the side and then come back to it when I'm waiting for paint to dry or something like that, you know, and come back and forth. And so it was on and off for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I really hope I don't have another seat post stuck like that again. It was really bad. And so what? As, at one point, at one point, you started torching it. Was that to activate the gallium, or what was that for? Oh yeah. So that was just with my like heat gun. Okay. And yeah, that was just to keep the it. It's winter time, ish, still here in Utah. Sometimes, like we, I was at a scout camp yesterday, and it was blizzarding. So it was super fun. <laughs> So it gets cold. And so the gallium, I think at room temperature, it's liquid, but it was getting okay. a little cold. So I wanted to make sure that it was um, saying, uh, yeah, that was just to keep it melted or liquid form. So, right. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, there's probably a few other things I could have tried. Uh, the Fat Chance bikes, I didn't know this before. Um, that bottom bracket is a solid tube. There's no holes in it. So I couldn't flip over the bike and fill it with something and let it soak and sit. And, um, mm -hmm. a few other things that I just couldn't try, or maybe I could, I mean, I could have filled up the whole seat post, but, <laughs> but there's probably things I, there was lots of suggestions that sounded great in the comments. <laughs> That's so. where I get all my video ideas. Is the comments? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there, I've, I've learned so much about bike mechanics from the comments section. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've learned that everyone is a bike mechanic, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's certain things that some people say you shouldn't lube, and some say you should, and I kind of stick with what the part guys tell me. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's lots of different opinions. But yeah. I don't know. We we don't have to go through the rest of my list. I will I will say tools after watching your <laughs> your seat posts. You know, there's like yeah. kind of basic tools and then there's this whole level of oh oh crap, things are stuck. I gotta pull out the big guns tools, which is yeah. you know, could could potentially add up <laughs> and get messy. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I mean uh, but if you're tinkering on anything, I mean even with new bikes. You get a bottom bracket, mm. you're like, uh, do I have, even when I was with the park school guys, when we were, so at Sea Otter, I was helping fix bikes for people at their booth. And, um, yeah, like someone would show up and it'd be like, what bottom bracket? And we were trying to find the right bottom bracket tool. And this is the bike park tool, right? And, and there was, I think there was at least one that were, were like, you need to, you need to go back to. I don't know. I don't remember what bottom bracket. Go back to go to their booth, see if they have the tool for it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But I, so new bikes, there's that same thing too. So, I mean, if you want to fix your new bike, you probably need to get tools too. That would be my, my rebuttal to your tool <laughs> comment. <laughs> I'd say but that, you might uh, have them. So, yeah. I think the biggest tool that, that, that doesn't get discussed is having a garage or space. Like, mm. we've, you know, this is the first time we've, we've, you know, we're, we're renting this first time we've, uh, 
lived in the space. I actually had a garage. So I can do all the, the, these uh, shenanigans for for YouTube. But prior to that, like, there's only so much that uh, Laura would tolerate me having a bike in the middle of our living room. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen I've seen those videos. Uh, yeah, it is nice. It is nice to have a garage. Yes. Do you have any fear that um, the vintage bike stuff is gonna go the way of like Leica cameras, where everything becomes super expensive and exclusive, and you know, it just becomes like a hobbyist game rather than than something that the regular folks can partake in. I I really hope it doesn't. I hope not. But I think I mean when you're restoring vintage things at a certain point, um, the supply becomes smaller. Um, mm -hmm. And, and uh, I think we do already see a bit of that with even the high end bikes. But still. Um, they're less than the high-end new bikes. So we haven't reached the point where um, I think we have with some cars. You know? Right. <laughs> if you want uh, a, a, a sweet Toyota Supra, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Actually, it might be around the same price as the new <laughs> one, too, because the new one's not cheap. But, you know, it, uh, I think that those prices will go up in scarcity. I do... I do see a lot more scarcity with like the suspension forks. I'm happy mm. though, to see a few companies like uh, I restored a Marzocchi bomber, like a Z2 um, bomber a couple, a year and a half ago. And at the time, no one, I couldn't find seals or anything. And now there's a company out there, a Dr. Marzocchi, um, who's kind of brought that back and he's sourced awesome. a bunch of parts and he's having parts made. And so there's kind of a resurgence happening that will maybe will help with some of those forks. But I do think that will increase the price because there is, you know, we're not talking about new old stock anymore. We're talking about new stuff being made and, and they'll continue with the market value, but there's some interest in, in, in that. But at the same time, the, it's not like we're going to have more Z2 Marzocchi bombers being made from the 90s you know so there, so as things disappear and maybe get lost um uh i think it, it i think it will go up i hope it doesn't get too crazy though but i think the the general run of the mill like uh if you want a 90s mountain bike that was just specced with dior parts um yeah i th i think those will still be feasible as long as they're still around so you, yeah. you said something in, in your pros video, like I'm not super versed in 90s mountain bike history lore, but you said, you know, look for bikes that were designed by Joe Murray because he was kind of ahead of its time. Oh. Like what, what did he bring to the design of the 90s mountain bike that, that you like so much? Um, so, so Joe Murray was a pro racer who then helped start design he would, uh, a lot of kind of the North Shore bikes. And I'm not, I'm not the most first either. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm an expert on big lore, but but Joe Murray was um, behind the designs for, for Kona's and for Voodoo's, um, and they're similar, more of a sloped down tube, um, mm. a, a slightly more aggressive hardtail that was good on, uh, just good for the cross-country and stuff that they were doing back then, and a little more, a little more aggressive. It was a little ahead of their time. A lot of companies then started to do that more also in the early 2000s, and the geometries were just a little bit more similar to that. And it, uh, if you look at the early nineties mountain bikes, well, it were like your Schwinn, your Schwinn Paramount. Um, it was mm -hmm. very much still a consistent of maybe the late eighties type mountain bikes. 
uh, geometry-wise, very um, horizontal um, top tube, um, and even just uh, uh, it just was a different feel, and you even ride them a little bit different. The '80s bikes, even though I do like, like I have a, my Richie Ascent. That's an '87 Richie Ascent on my local mm-hmm. trails. My fastest Strava times up and down are on that Richie Ascent, nice. which just blew me. It blows me away. It still blows me away because I thought for sure it would be slower on the downhill because it's rigid. It's just slammed, but it's like riding a time trials bike, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's a very aggressive geometry. And, and those Joe, Joe Murray, uh, they're a little bit more laid back, a little higher stack in the front slope down tube, a little more comfortable, starting to feel like a dirt jumper. You can wheel wheelie them, although I'm, that's not my big thing. It's easier mm-hmm. to wheelie those bikes. Um, they're, they're nimble, quick, and I just really liked the feel. So for me, that's, that's the appeal. I really, really like that. Really modern 29 or hardtails are very yeah. similar geometries to those. Um, they're starting to be more aggressive now with the slope, more slope down tubes and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of your standard, I'd say in the last like five years, those hardtails are very similar. They're just 29ers. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, riding the the Paramount, um, it was I, when I picked it up from from the guy. It it looked it looks visually small, right? Tiny head tube, uh-huh. and then I hopped on it. And I was like, "Why does it look so small but feel so long?" Like I don't get what's going on here. Like I I, I almost didn't buy it uh, when when I rolled up to the house and the guy was holding it because I was like, "There's no way that's gonna, gonna it's fit gonna me. be too small for me." Yeah, yeah. But when I when I took it home. Um, you know, I've, I've not released this video yet, but I, I superimpose it against other bikes I have. And it's actually longer than like my Rivendell or my crust, you know, by a couple of uh, centimeters. Um, but they did everything that they could to not slope the top tube <laughs> on that bike, you know, and they have like a super aggressive, uh, like a stack stack to reach. That's the first thing that was like, oh, that's, that's kind of an odd, you know, design choice. Like not knowing anything about 90s mountain bike design, but like coming from uh-huh. you know, 2022 and 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 looking at it yeah yeah i i agree it does look yeah it does look a little they they look smaller <laughs> i agree <laughs> for some reason they do look smaller so here's a question from karina uh is there any old tech you wish would come back mm, that's a good question i have to think about that um <laughs> on on my Richie Ultra, it has the campy cranks and brakes. I I think it would be cool if there was still campy um, mountain group oh, sets. Stuff. I think that'd be that. I think that'd be cool. Um, the, uh, there's a certain finesse and beauty that comes out of Italy for some reason. Um, yeah, I think would be cool. But as far as functionality, I'm like I don't know. <laughs> there's. <laughs> I actually no, there, there is. So I really, and it kind of hasn't gone away, but just the, in the late nineties, there was a lot of real high end steel frames being built. Uh, and there was a lot more effort put into really lightweight, um, supple steel frames in high production. I think we still get that in kind of the custom frame building world, which isn't approachable for everyone, but, um, there were some just really great frame sets. I really love 
the bikes that I have that rental that have Reynolds tubing on them, for for instance, you know, and some of those mm-hmm. older bikes. So I'd love to see that more in production on on I'd love to see more production steel mountain bikes, modern ones. There's a few companies out there, but um some company they'll they'll have maybe one steel model. You know, like Kona has their Hanzo steel mm-hmm. and and uh, Niner has a few steel ones. They're they're consistently making those. But I'd love to see a more lightweight steel made, um, yeah. like they were in the '90s. Yeah, one of the things I I really love about kind of vintage bikes and vintage components is, you know, you you run into them at the at the bike co-op. They're maybe 20, 30 years old, if not older, and they still work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I don't think electronic components are going to be like that. You know, it's going to go the way of, you know, consumer electronics. Like, how often do you see, like, a, a Walkman, you know, that, that's in functioning condition, condition that can still take a charge or whatever? It's, you know. Yeah, with all the unique batteries also and charging methods and, like, even recharging a battery. How long is that battery, even if it's just rechargeable and not replaceable, how long is it going to last? And, yeah. Even like uh, SRAM's new blips, like they're they're literally disposable. There's no way to charge them. You know, they say they have like a three year battery life, and after that, you can you know yeah. recycle them or something. But that's like I don't know that when that came out, that that made me really sad, and that actually started me back on my retro grouch trend. You know, <laughs> I feel like a lot of like older tech that's still super usable. I don't know. Someone has to sing their praises. Like I. Like I, I feel like there's going to be a channel shift on 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 my end where it's not like yay all the new new things all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just saw a comment. Someone asking, "Gravel bikes or just '90s mountain bikes?" Changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think on that, Russ? I, I have an opinion. I'd like to know yours. I'm interested. Uh, well, after testing about seventy gravel bikes and <laughs> and trying to turn a a nineties mountain bike into one, they're very different beasts. <laughs> you know, aside aside from just like the tech, like brakes aside, uh, you know, wheel size and, and tire makes a, a big difference. Um, yeah, and like just the the kind of assumed posture that you're going to be riding on the bike, it's it's not the same. I think I th- I think part of that comes from that. Um, well, uh, geometries are similar ish. I think it's more the use is uh, well, what you're writing is similar, um, <laughs> is what, it's got, and, and it's the got gra- wheels in the chain. <laughs> well, no, like, uh, like riding on fire roads and, and stuff, dirt roads and fire roads, um, is kind of that, what that bread and butter of, of nineties mountain biking had a lot of, you know, there wasn't as many, um, there weren't like bike parks in, in a lot of places and your local trails were um, often sometimes too narrow or trail runners. There wasn't as many mountain bike trails back then. So a lot of fire roads were, were what you're riding or stuff that bikes were made to be ridden on that. But I do think that the, the stance is different. I've done a few bikes where I've taken those um, 90s mountain bikes and put drop bars on it and it makes it, I, I think, a gravel bike, but it's not saying that the gravel bikes are the same. I think actually what, and what I'm more interested in, someone commented this in my video also, was um, late 90s and early 2000 hybrid bikes mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that are 700C wheels 
um, had V brakes, but were set up for a flat bar geometry. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, those I'm finding. I'm building one. One of my next videos will building one for a nonprofit shop in Bentonville um, that they're going to use for a fundraiser. And yeah, I was like, let's find a, a steel '90s um, hybrid bike and turn it into a, a, a gravel all-around kind of bike and try things out. And I think those are actually closer mm -hmm. to to the the gravel bikes. Like I think they're right. a, a lot closer. Um, what's hard is to try to get the the handlebars in the stack. Like if you're wanting drop bars, trying to get the same because they're designed differently. Trying to get that to work. I think those are actually closer. So yeah, the the so, new meme so, is going to be gravel bikes are just uh, late nineties dad bikes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, late nineties dad bikes or gravel bikes are just late nineties dad bikes. <laughs> We're just trying to make us make ourselves feel cooler about. There you go. See, so spin dad yeah. approved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, so. Cool. Yeah. Well, we've been yapping for about an hour. Um, going to take us home here. So, uh, Rob, thanks so much for, for your time and in, indulging me in this superheated debate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was awesome. I was excited. <laughs> when, you, when you reached out, Ross, I was like, sweet, this will be fun. <laughs> so that's it for the podcast, everyone. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We've got a few more lined up. Thanks again to Arkel for sponsoring and resurrecting it. If you enjoyed it, give their side a visit or message them and let them know that you appreciate it. As always, everybody, keep the supple side down.